Welcome back to a new season of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up? Uh, the sky. There you go. <laughs> we're back. We're back in the saddle. We're officially back and we're going to be releasing regular episodes again. So I think today we're going to kind of just catch up because we haven't talked to each other in a while and we haven't talked to y'all in a while. So we just kind of want to catch up with each other and with y'all and let y'all know what's going on with us. So Julie, how was your summer break? What'd you do? I went on a road trip. It was three weeks and the kids and I and dad, of course, went up the coast, the West coast and down the, I don't know what you would call it, not the coast, but in the same state. So we went California, Oregon, Washington, and then back down. And we saw so many things. We visited four national parks, several state parks. We went sandboarding down the... That's sick. (laughs) So anyways, in Oregon, there's this huge mini town of sand dunes because there's actually street signs. All these ATVs will drive through it and you can turn into these streets, but it's all sand. It's like a big giant hill of sand. So we went down this one hill and you can see the view in the front is just this giant lake and it's gorgeous. And the kids went sandboarding down. I was kind of worried about it because... I don't really like sand on me. <laughs> just right. Like I sticks, mean, who does? <laughs> the sand was actually not that sticky. And I successfully boarded down maybe like, I don't know, 20 feet without falling over. Nice. It was fun. Was it fun? Yeah. Yes. Lots of fun. What was your favorite park? I do think Mount Rainier. Very great things. Really beautiful. There were a couple of places that closed though, and we didn't visit all of it because... To visit it, you'd have to stay several days. We stayed two nights, but we stayed in our one location and it was just really gorgeous. Because we went earlier in the summer, there was still a lot of snow. So some of the hiking that we did was on the snow itself. And it was kind of slippery because kids didn't have snowshoes or anything. We just went in our shoes. I luckily bought hiking boots before we went, not realizing I would love them so much. But every time I went hiking before, I never had hiking boots. I bought some hiking shoes. Like, did you get the ones that like cover your ankle or like the more like tennis shoe type ones? Is there a difference between hiking boots and hiking shoes? Well, like the main difference is like hiking boots to me is like the type that they go over your ankle. So it's like a boot and a hiking shoe is not the boot part. So it doesn't have the ankle support. It's like a much better shoe with much better grip and it's a lot harder. Like it's a much better quality shoe. Okay. I... Did not. So I bought both, but ended up using the shoe. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I did too. I did some hiking myself. What else did you do before I get in there? The one thing that we did was we went into these like lava caves, like the caves that were made from volcanoes and lavas. And one of the caves we went to was really long and it got really cold. We went to, I think it's called Lava Biz National Monument. Okay. So we went there and there were so many different caves. You had to drive to the next location, but there were some okay. really fun caves. Some of them were really low. You're supposed to wear hard hats. We did not have hard hats. And I have bumped my head a couple of times, but going slow will help. The, the tights. Oh yeah. Stalactites, stalagmites. I don't know the difference. I remember only because of this reason. Stalactites have to hold on tight. Mm. So they come from the ceiling. Oh, okay. Yep. That's a good one. I hope that's true. Still. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I, apparently I learned some weird things when I was younger. That's awesome. 
It's a great trip. Sounds like. Yeah. Really fun. The kids still say that it's one of their favorite trips. So maybe we'll put in another road trip another time. So what'd you do over the summer? Mostly work. It's not been the smoothest of summers. One of the big things I did was I actually did some hiking and camping myself. And I went camping in the Grand Canyon with Drew Bragg of the coding coders and the <laughs> oh no he literally already roasted me for getting this wrong code and the coding coders who code it there you go Bang. you got it nailed it nailed it so drew started at podia recently and before he started wait hold on what yeah drew works at podia now <laughs> when he started two or three weeks ago oh my gosh okay yeah that's awesome so before he started he was like, I want to do something. And he's like, I've always wanted to go hike the Grand Canyon. And I was like, I got a spare bed, which like none of you can see, but Julie can see because it's sitting right beside me. So he came down for a few days and we went hiking first up in Sedona to Devil's Bridge, which is a really cool rock formation that they call it Devil's Bridge because it's like a really small hanging rock. Who knows how it stays there, but I went and got to hang off the side of that. That was a lot of fun. So we went hiking there all day. And then the next morning we left my house at like 3 a.m. I think drove up to the Grand Canyon, which is like, it's supposed to be like a three and a half hour drive, but I made it in two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised. Don't worry about the math there. <laughs> but yeah, so we made really good time. So like my understanding, in order to hike into the Grand Canyon and to like stay overnight there, because it's a dangerous thing they obviously want to keep track of who's going down. So you have to get like a mm-hmm. permit. And if you want to stay at like a camping ground, you have to set that up with the park ranger station. And that way they know who's going in and they have contact details for you. And if you don't let them know that you're out by a certain time, they can come get you oh. because it's dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. So, Wait, I mean, so have you done this before? I've gone to the Grand Canyon several times. I have never hiked inside of it. I've hiked around it and done a lot of like stuff around the rim. Okay. But never like gone inside got it so you cannot drive inside that's why you have to get a permit and walk in and how long is all of this are we talking about days to do something like this or it depends on how deep you want to go because the plan that drew and i had originally which we (laughs) night i mean i'm not much of a planner so drew had this plan and we asked the park ranger about it and she was like yeah i wouldn't do that if i were you (laughs) (laughs) and we were like why and she's like well first off the spot that you're talking about sleeping is going to be 100 tonight it was like at night. Well, yeah. hundred. Like at that point in time, when Drew was here, it had not gone below 90 degrees Fahrenheit at night in Phoenix in a month. So okay. it's hot at night. It's hot during the day. Now it's 10 or 20 degrees cooler at the Grand Canyon because it's North in the mountains. But because even though you're at the rim and it's like 20 degrees cooler than it would be in Phoenix, when you get to the bottom, it's just as hot. Yeah. So They were literally measuring the increments of our journey in Eiffel Towers. (laughs) They have like water stops. I think it was like mile and a half or three miles. And on our way back up, we were like hiding in the shade and we looked at a sign and it was like, yeah, you have one Eiffel Tower left. And I'm like, excuse you? (laughs) I think it was like five miles ish, maybe a little less, but so we started our descent at 4 p.m. because by then it was cool enough to like start hiking and made it to the bottom in like four hours, I think. And then spent the night down there, got to see the stars. 
one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my whole life. Just like the whole universe. No lights or anything. No. And it's specific. Like Drew told me it's the Grand Canyon Park specifically, like does a lot of stuff to keep out light pollution. So they like specifically ensure that you can see the stars as good as possible. How do they do that? So one thing is not having lights on at night. So like that's number one. And the number two is like the lights that they do are a special type of light. A lot of red lights. All right. That was really interesting to learn about. But it was just really interesting being at the very bottom. And we weren't even as bottom as you could go. Like we were planning to go deeper, but we were like, I think like a half a mile or maybe a mile from the Colorado River. And we were standing where we were about to camp and you could just look up like straight up. And it's just like, oh, we came from way, way up there. And somehow we're down here. And that was like, oh God, tomorrow is going to be hard. (laughs) That's so amazing. Wait, so was this a one evening trip? So we only camped for one night. Yeah. Okay. I think it was probably 80 or 90 where we camped that night. Wow, that is so hot. Yes, it is hot. And I think the next morning we were up around five and we were both tired. As soon as we woke up, I was like, we got to tear down camp. We got to go. We got to go right now. Because I know what happens in Arizona as soon as the sun comes up. And so I was like, the closer we are to the top of that freaking cliff, the better by the time the sun is blazing. And we almost got there. Like going up was not, it was one of the harder things I've had to do. But I eventually found like a stride. And was just like, don't stop. And I eventually lost Drew, but we both made it out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're sleeping in like a 90 degree low. And I may have forgotten to mention this, but we did mostly tent camping for our road trip. Our lowest, I think was 30. Oh, hell no. 38 degrees. Oh, hell no. So that was also the last day of our trip. And then also by then all of our sleeping pads started deflating. (laughs) So it was not terrible, but it was a little cold that last day. Yeah. The hard part for me is like, I haven't done a hike like that in a while, but I'm also, even the hikes that I do, I don't usually camp and hike. So I usually go for like Mm. day trips. So I never have to carry a big backpack. Basically the backpack that I've had for like 10, 15 years at this point, like a school backpack. And that's the one I always carry. But on this one, like we had to take gear and stuff. We rented some stuff from, you can rent like everything you need from the Grand Canyon Park, basically. Mm. And the backpack that I had on was really heavy. And since it wasn't my backpack and wasn't fitted specifically for me, when I got home, it looked like I had just been cut down where like the straps were. They were just digging into my side the whole time. And that really hurt. (laughs) I'm sorry. Wait, so could you not have a tent? Because... Yes. We didn't need a tent necessarily. In the campground that we stayed at, there were like maybe five people there. We thought it was going to be packed, but apparently because it was so hot that it was actually not as packed as it usually was. So that's good to know. But we saw one lady who was like by herself. And I was like, this person's a badass. And she was just sleeping on the ground with a pad and a sleeping bag. Wow. You don't have to bring a tent, but we brought a small tent that we rented, sleeping bags, pads for the sleeping bags. And then we both rented the hiking poles. It was like straight up. So we rented the hiking poles. Those were nice. Drew already had one, but I bought one, like one of those like camel water things where you like the hose comes out and you can like suck on them. Yeah. So we had that. We bought a bunch of like food that you can make with like water. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we had some food like that. We forgot forks, which was cool. That was like one thing that we didn't have that we reached the bottom. We were like, oh, you don't need forks. Well, we were trying to eat the food that you like pour water into to eat. 
it's kind of like an oatmeal-ish type thing, but it's like 700 calories. Wow. And it tasted pretty good, actually. But I was like trying to eat it with like my hand. <laughs> but I had brought a bunch of snacks. Like I brought a ton of beef jerky. So we were good. And going up, I was drinking a ton of water and I was good. I think Drew at one point had a little issue. He had to stop for a bit. But yeah, we were good. Going out was definitely tough, but it was very accomplishing. And I don't know, it felt good to make it out alive. Yeah. <laughs> I heard someone say how many people they had to come rescue this year. And like, apparently someone had passed away like the week before we had been there. Oh my gosh. So not safe. Well, I mean, not unsafe, like safe if you know what you're doing, but just there's opportunities for things to go wrong. There's tons of animals. We passed this dude and he's like, do you know what to do if a ram charges you? And I was like, is this a trick question? And he's like, no, there's a ram. You're about to oh pass gosh. a ram. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, that ram was some smoke. I don't think we actually saw the ram. We saw a deer <laughs> walk right past our tent. Just didn't care. Just like sup boys. Oh, because we had the same thing at our campsite. A deer just goes up and literally like five feet away from us. Yeah. And we had to like lock all our food in like a very special like case so that the animals couldn't get it. I learned that the squirrels are freaking out of control of the Grand Canyon because now they're not afraid of humans. Oh. And those dudes wanted... <laughs> that was crazy. Like I've seen aggressive squirrels before. These squirrels wanted the smoke. I've never seen an aggressive squirrel, so oh, I don't know what I would do there. No, they were insane. And they carry like diseases and fleas and stuff. So like they're like trying to run up to kids to get like food from them. Like there's signs everywhere. Do not feed the squirrel. <laughs> Whatever yeah. you do, they have these diseases. And still I saw someone like, yeah, you could feed them. And I'm like, no, that's how more come. Squirrels and geese. They're aggro. We did have a campsite where there were rabbits, but these were pet kind of rabbits for right. this campsite. And they would always come by. We would feed it fruits and vegetables. And I think the kids said that was their favorite campsite just because of those rabbits. Oh, nice. But that yeah, deer that cool. came by our campsite, we did not touch it. We did not want to feed no. it. And then we saw the next site over. They were like hand feeding this deer. And I was like, I no. don't know that I would be doing that. Oh, no, that's a wild animal. Yeah. Yeah. And a deer is big. Yeah. One kick of that deer and you're in the hospital. If it bites you, oh God. Yeah, no. And they have diseases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Park rangers were like, yeah, and please don't feed the bobcats or something. And I'm like, and I, I like scoffed and I'm like, and she's like, I know, but you would be surprised. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just still wild to me. Mm -hmm. There's a human, oh, a couple of weeks before we did that, someone at Yellowstone had like petted a bison. What? And I'm like, why have you done that? What told you that was good? When we were hiking to Devil's Bridge, they were like, yeah, watch out for rattlesnakes. There's rattlesnakes everywhere. And this one couple was like, yeah, we've had some. And I'm like, I'm not worried about rattlesnakes because the rattlesnake's going to stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. No <laughs> one's messing with no one. We're just going to go about our way. Would you do this trip again? Yeah, totally. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. 
A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That's www.honeybadger.io. It sounds like one of those trips where people climb things, like people climb Mount Rainier. You mm-hmm. like descended yeah. into the canyon. Yeah. It was one of the toughest hikes I've had to do, but so rewarding. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we both had some pretty memorable trips. I think the majority of this break though, I've been working on launching. We launched a big new email product at Podia that I've been working on all year. So that's what I did the majority of the summer, it feels like, but it was nice to get like a little break in there. Yeah. Cool. How's the work going? Well, nice. I think I'm in the <laughs> I think I'm in the middle of just doing a lot of research. So less coding, but more looking into things. And I've discovered that I've been asking just a lot of different people the best way to handle something like maybe it's a design decision or an architectural type of decision. Let's say you had a list of something that two different repositories need to have access to. Do you keep that list in both places, thus needing to update both lists? If you have to change something, do you keep it in the front end and have the front end tell the back end that, Hey, this list is what you need to do, but you might not want to do that if it's something like giving access to something because you don't want the right. front end to be telling the back end to do that due to security issues because something like a user can use Postman to send that same thing and the back end just kind of takes its word for it. Or do we keep it in the back end and somehow let the front end know, but then there could be multiple calls happening. Right. Stuff yeah, like the... that. There's a lot of decisions like that that I'm kind of trying to figure out at work. Yeah. I've been having some trouble architecting recently. I've had some of those questions too. Like, what is the best way to do this? And then what's even more interesting is like when someone tells you the best way and then you're like, actually, I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Can you share more about that? I'll give an example that is not like the exact example, but it's like something I can turn into a similar example. So one question I've been having recently is like STI versus polymorphism. We don't have enough time when I don't have energy to get into all of that today. But it's just like, what is the best architecture for these tables? Like when you have one of something, the path seems very simple. If we just need to join two tables, then we'll just make a join table. But then what if all of a sudden something new gets introduced to it? It's like, oh, well, now we want to be able to associate this with that and this other thing with that. And then you get into this situation of like, okay, should we use polymorphism? Should we use STI? And what are the drawbacks of those? And then What I've really been having to do a lot of is we think that we've made a good decision and then something changes and then we have to go back and re-architect it, which has been a little frustrating, but I've learned a lot. But yeah, it's definitely like one of the bigger questions I've had recently, just personally is like, when is STI the right solution and when is polymorphism the right solution? You wouldn't be able to go into what STI is, would you? STI is single table inheritance. So in polymorphism, I'm going to use a tag as an example, because that's a good one. So on a tag table, you might have two columns called taggable type and taggable ID. Let's say for Podia, for instance, we have a bunch of courses. And let's say you wanted to add a tag to courses. So we might have this tag table and the taggable type might be the course and the taggable ID may be the course ID. So that's kind of how polymorphism works. So it doesn't matter 
what record the tag is associated with because at the end of the day, it can have that taggable type and taggable ID and that can be the table name or class name, whatever. And then the ID of it. And so for courses, I could use that for videos. I use that for whatever, right? And it'll always will still work because it's not tied to a specific record. Like it doesn't belong to a course in the sense that it has a course ID on it. So it can belong to anything. And the way single table inheritance works is instead of having a taggable type and taggable ID, you would just have one type. And then with the taggable thing, usually the way you do it is like you just have your taggable model. But the way STI works is you would have a base model. So let's say we architect our tags with STI instead. We could have tag type. The tag table would have a type on it, but then we would subclass it and kind of use like inheritance type. So maybe we'd have site tag. So the type, it's only one table. The difference is instead of being able to associate with all these different types of records, it's very explicit and you just have different types of them. And then you can implement different behavior based on the types. So then I would have site tag and course tag, and these are models. And they all inherit from the tag model. And that means whenever you query the tag model directly, like it will have a type. But then you can also do site tag dot where, and it will only query the tag records with that specific type on it. So what did you end up coming up with as a, what's the best way um, for your situation? Because I feel like there is no one best way. And sometimes you may have to switch and do a different way that you thought was the right way or the best the, way. The way we saw what I'm specifically kind of talking around was with STI. But I don't know if I would specifically change what we've just done. But I think going forward, I've kind of decided that I don't really like STI as much as I like polymorphism. And I think it's a little Why? more complicated. I also know there's some performance issues with SCI. I've talked to a few people since we've had these discussions and they've just been like, yeah, I just kind of usually just use polymorphism for this. So is I don't that know. in general, like in general, STIs are non, not as performant or. I don't know if that's just in rails or that could be old. Like the person I was asking this has been doing rails for a long time. So like, it's possible that whatever performance issues did exist, maybe they fix now. I'm not really sure. I just know that I was kind of struggling with it. And I don't know if it was just like data model. Like I don't use STI a lot. I usually use polymorphism. So like that could just be a bias in my brain. I don't know, but it was a struggle for sure. I don't think I've come across STI before. So the one opportunity that I had, I just went straight to polymorphism, but I didn't really think about like, oh, there's another way that we could handle this. Or maybe I did at the time and didn't know that's what it was called. I think polymorphism is, I mean, it definitely depends on what you're doing, but yeah, there are a few things that I've built recently where I'm like, if I had to go back, I would probably do that with polymorphism instead. And that's the thing I've been kind of struggling with is like, in the moment, it's hard to know exactly what you're going to need, like how requirements might change, how certain decisions might affect other decisions. So like, we didn't know when we first started, like it was going to turn out this way. So, and I'm happy with the way it turned out. It was just kind of a struggle. So if you went to one way and you decided, oh, that wasn't the right way to do it, is it a lot of work to backtrack? So it can be. We ended up having a big mess just because of like the way kind of requirements change. And we were able to fix it. It just took me and my partner like a lot of 
time and effort. We had to go back and backfill a lot of things because we changed tables, we changed these things, we changed this. But I think it was the right solution because basically we were getting close to the end of a project. And then all of a sudden I was like, I think we made the wrong architecture decision here because another project had kind of collided into ours, like all on the same goal, but like they're working on this part, we're working on this part. And the collision, it made me see very clearly that we had picked the wrong path because they needed to hook into something that we were doing. And in order for them to do that, they were going to have to make a new table there and make a new join table. And I was like, okay, but they shouldn't have to because working on the same kind of concept. So like we should have made a more generic thing. And then it ended up being another part of the project that collided with it too. So we had made a very scoped solution for one of our problems and it ended up, we had to undo all that and make it work for everything. Yeah, it was kind of difficult to do. Gotcha. So you had to change tables and you mentioned backfilling. Backfilling is basically data to yeah. where it needs to go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier in the year, I created this today app or whatever I want to call it, but it kind of has my meetings for the day and I can take notes and put tasks and questions that I need to ask. But I thought about, because this was previous me and I want to redo it because I'm at the point where it's like, I don't want to add things to it because I don't know where anything is anymore. And I kind of want to change it up and thought maybe that would be a good experiment to kind of learn design and what's the best approach for doing something. I don't think you can learn the best approach necessarily. I think I've said this before, like you learn different solutions for problems and that's how you become a better Rails developer. Like you slowly but surely, you find like, oh, this solution, I can solve this problem with this solution. And the next time you kind of like, oh, well, actually I could solve this even better with this solution. And then you slowly but surely just kind of build up an arsenal of like, oh, I've seen this type of problem before. Let me make the association in my brain. If we do it this way, if we use STI here, we'll run into these problems. But if we use polymorphism, we won't. And like you slowly but surely like, but it's trial and error, really. Unless someone just tells you, but I still think a lot of it's trial and error. You just have to see what works and what doesn't work. Do you have a good, I don't know, way to keep track of all of these things that you're learning? I feel like I don't write things down and forget about them. And then I come across the same problem again. I couldn't remember what I did before. I keep everything in Obsidian. And so I've kind of changed my workflow a little bit. Right now, I work on a daily note workflow. Like when I turn on Obsidian in the morning, it opens up a note for that day. And I have a way to import meetings into it. I have a way to like link up projects to it. And basically throughout the day, I work really good in like outline form, I found out. So just throughout the day, I'll just hit enter and then add a new line. And then maybe at the end of the day, I'll come back and maybe organize it a little bit, add some tags if I need to, or put things if they need to go somewhere. But I have tried to start doing it a little bit better about remembering it. It's kind of hard to figure out the best way to know, like in that moment, how will I be able to find this the fastest? And I think that's the tricky part. It's not necessarily like recording the information. It's more so like making it useful later. So I've recently started doing all my note names in hierarchical design. So I have notes that start... The file names go gems and then gems.rails and then gems.rails.active record and then gems.rails.active record dot whatever. 
it worked kind of well with the programming because a lot of things are split into classes and modules and like you can literally see the hierarchy of the way Rails is defined. So I've started naming notes like that. If I'm looking for an active record method, then I know exactly where my active record note is. And then I can go straight there and try to find whatever I've done. But in terms of like, I think it's just, you just got to get better and better at writing it down. I have the same problem though. It's like, I know I've solved this before and now I don't know where I put the solution. And I don't know. The thing about that is like, it just kind of cements it into your brain more. I think the more and more you do it. So, yeah, I like to try to keep detailed PR notes. Cause that's where I like to go back yeah. and, and look at my stuff, but I'm not so good at the, uh, write my own notes type thing. I also take notes about PRs in my notes, but I just name them the name because like, every PR has a number and it belongs to a repo. So I'll name it like podia.9546. And so that's podia pull request 9546. And I just know where oh, it is. Nice. Well, I think we've had a good chat for today. I think we can wrap this up and get more programming next week. I'm glad you had a great summer though. I do too. Me too. I was just thinking like, how did we end this again? <laughs> how did we end this? We have some form of goodbye that we always try to do, but I some point started taking your form of it. Yeah. And now I don't know what we do at all. But it doesn't matter because it's season two. We can start fresh. That's true. We could do our, our new thing for the new season. Yeah. Thanks for our listeners. I'm trying to say thank you for being understanding of our taking a break thing. Hopefully you had a great break too. And yes. we'll catch you next week. Yep. Bye everyone. <laughs>